is the button. There it is. Okay, dairy plant management. That's what we're all here for, right? Management of a food processing facility is really what you're going to find out what we're talking about because whether we're looking at a canning facility, putting corn in a can, we're looking at a cheese facility, putting cheese in 500 pound barrel or 40 pound block. Even if we're looking at a bioprocess facility such as an ethanol plant, and we've had students out of this program to go to all of those kind of places, the management portion is essentially the same. How you deal with the people is what we really are gonna be focusing in on here. So first off, I'm gonna try and define management a little bit for you. So one of the definitions that I found out there is that management is a force that brings together the various elements of an enterprise and plans and controls the operation, okay? So they have different groups. Maybe it's the maintenance sector and the quality sector and the procurement sector and the administrative sector, the people who are doing purchasing. Bringing all of those groups together, creating a plan for all of them to move forward and then controlling how that works. That's management. Whether it's a smaller operation like having four or five employees on your own farmstead while you're gonna make some, some items, or if you're working at a facility that's bringing in 10 million pounds of milk a day, it's still doing these same basic things, bringing together the various parts, figuring out how to come up with a plan, and then a way to move forward by controlling those individuals. Another definition, is creating the efficient use of manpower, substitute labor, substitute people, right? Materials, money, space, and time to accomplish an objective. You can bring together people and materials, but if you don't have proper space allocation, if you don't have any funding, and you don't have adequate time, very unlikely to achieve your objective. But if you can get all of those parts together, then we're gonna be in pretty good shape. So that's what we're looking for, okay? So what's the responsibility if I'm in management? Well, my responsibility is to make sure that the business as a whole has a level of supervision of oversight such that the whatever the material we're making, the goods that we're producing or the services that we're producing have a level of quality and a level of quantity that will meet the consumer's needs, okay? We can produce a very large number of items and do it well. Or we can produce a very large number of items and do it poorly. We have to have both quality and quantity 
of goods or service to meet the consumer. And then we get this next part, at a price that they will pay. The market drives this. If my objective is to make cheddar cheese, but I think that when I bring together my organization, the people, the maintenance, everything else together, and the best I can do is to sell that cheddar cheese at $9 a pound, how large of a market am I going to have? Not very big. Because what is cheese on the open wholesale market trading at right now? It's somewhere around 220, 222 a pound. If I'm too far from what the consumer will pay, I'm not gonna be able to stay in business. But if the consumer won't pay, I've got another part of this equation I have to consider. I need to have pricing structures in place for the services I'm providing, the product I'm providing, that pays the people making the product, right? If the labor source, the people actually doing the work aren't properly remunerated, are they gonna stay? Are they gonna do the best job that they can. Are you gonna be able to maintain quality? No, you have to be able to pay the people doing the job. The management, whether that's the people, the front office staff, the head administrators, the procurement folks, they're not directly involved necessarily in making the product, but we have to be able to compensate them also. And we need to make sufficient money to pay the people who put the money up in the beginning. Capital is your shareholders, your stockholders, the people who, the bank, who said, okay, it's a good idea. Here's the amount of money we'll let you play with to see whether it works. And if you can keep paying us back, great. But if you can't pay us back, then we probably are not going to continue to support your business. So you have to cover that within the price that the consumer covers, which creates a situation where you can't just randomly put any price you want to on any good that you happen to be making. You have to do some homework, right? that makes sense? So it's management's responsibility to cover all of those things. Dealing with quality, quantity, pricing, cost accounting, all of those items. Another way we can look at management is that it is an activity that determines the goals and objectives of the business entity. Now in lab this week, some of you have already gotten to do this and some will get to do this. We work on developing goals for a business. 
And it's not as simplistic as maybe you would hope it to be when you first read the scenario that's there. It's challenging to set objectives. Challenging to set reasonable and rational goals and be able to measure your ability to get towards that goal. But that's management. Managers are planners. If you do not like to plan, then maybe you need to rethink what it is that you're potentially going to engage in. If you're just a person who likes to randomly go, well, let's just go do this now. Did you plan ahead? No, it's, it's gonna be fine. It works a little bit, but does it maintain a business model? No. You have to plan what to do, when to do it, how and by whom it will be done. That's management's responsibility. Routine work procedures. How many of you have gotten to work on SOPs on an internship? The standard operating procedure. Why do we do those? What's the point? Consistency. Quality can be obtained if we're consistent. Another reason for that, if Sydney's not here today and Max is there instead in the same job, how do I get the same product in the end? I follow the same protocol, right? But who writes the protocol? Every facility has some individual quirks, some things that aren't exactly identical. Management's responsibility is to establish those standardized protocols so that they can build consistency for quality. Management also has the responsibility to establish controls. How do I validate? How do I make certain that the product that I said I was making is what I actually have? How do I validate and make certain that the procedure that I have written is being followed? Right? We also have to have that control function. In lots of facilities, that's a whole entity to itself. You'll have a department within their title, it's quality control, right? Their whole business, their day in and day out sampling and analysis is validation that the rest of the operation is doing their job, right? but management has to set all of that up. So who does, who does this, right? Who's part of this team? A management team typically is individuals who have some level of authority, right? If I'm the president of the company, I've got some people who report to me. Those individuals will be referred to as the subordinates. If I'm a line supervisor. I have four, six, 
12 individuals within my work group who are doing a set of tasks, a uniform set of tasks every day, how am I making sure that that happens? Those are the people who become part of management. Is the person who's the machine operator filling the cans with corn, filling the bottles with milk, probably part of management? No. But the person who told them how many units they're expected to fill today and what the quality parameters are that they're expected to meet, they become part of management. Superintendent used to be a term you found very often used in manufacturing facilities. It's not necessarily as common now, but if you think about it in these terms, how many of you went to a school? What do almost all school districts have? The superintendent. The superintendent, who reports to the superintendent? All the principals. Who reports to the principals? The teachers, right? There's a formal reporting structure up to. The superintendent is in charge of other team leaders, the principals of the individual buildings, reporting to them. That is a way of looking at a management structure. The line supervisor, the four person for non-management personnel, they're also part of management. Sometimes we forget that there's an office manager. Sometimes we forget about that portion of our business. And if we do, we're gonna get in trouble, right? Somebody is out there making sure the invoices get paid, making sure the purchase orders are placed, making sure that we have supplies coming to us, right? And that group of people who are paying the bills, doing the ordering, all have someone who oversees them. And that individual is part of a management team. And your, your business, your food process, your dairy process function cannot survive without them. So you've got all these people a part of this team. Sometimes you have people who show up on a management structure, even if there's no one who reports to them. The assistant to the president. Around this institution, you have people who are in positions, the assistant to the dean, the assistant to the president. Do they have any people support, uh, reporting to them? No. What do they have? about 70 hours of work every week because they have to do all the detail work to provide the data to that overarching supervisor that they're attached to, whether it's the president, the dean, the provost, that sort of a thing. They're part of the management team because of the level of the responsibilities that they have. The poor safety person you may end up by yourself, right? 
You're responsible for the safety of all the individuals within your facility. Nobody's directly reporting to you about that, but you have oversight over everyone from the president of the company to the head of the quality department to the folks working in the maintenance department. You have oversight for all of those people. They don't directly report to you, but you have oversight over them, right? So you're part of the management team. People who pay, boy, you know, don't ever forget this person. Everyone likes to get a paycheck. As far as I know, most of us are not in this just for, uh, you know, fun without a little bit of remuneration. So that wage and salary administrator to make, making sure paychecks are, are distributed, the benefits packages are negotiated. They may, in a small company, be a department of one, but they're still part of the management team, right? So what's the responsibility for all of these people? In any business entity, what's the goal? Profit. If it wasn't in the business for profit, what would we call it? We'd call it a nonprofit organization, but would we call it a business? No. Business by what we typically term it, is in there to make something. So what's the team responsibilities to get to the profit? Plan the activities that are going to occur, all right? Planning, planning, planning. Have any of you ever heard the term six Ps? No, that's okay. We had a gentleman who used to be on faculty here, was a colonel in the Army Reserve. And sometimes he would get frustrated with people and he would just say six Ps to you and it took you a while to figure that out. But I'm gonna tell you what the six Ps are. Prior planning prevents piss poor performance. And it's true. In absolutely any organization you're ever entitled, uh, involved with, if someone's not doing the planning, what do you get? You get those last three. We need to have planning if we have any chance of having profit. Management teams sometimes act as cheerleaders. They're getting people excited. They're bringing them together. They're rallying the troops, as it were, to get everyone together to get something done. They're rallying the people. They're rallying the resources. They're helping to obtain capital. But they're out there not doing this in a dull and boring way, but they're getting people excited about it, right? You've got to bring the whole together. And that's important to have a manager who can also be the cheerleader, who can help the whole organization know why they're doing what they're doing and how we're going to get there.
the manager has to be good at organizing themselves and others. Organization skills are transferable across anything that you're doing. How organized you are in knowing when your next exam is, when the assignments do. The better you get at that now, the more success you're going to have if you're put into a management situation. So practice your organizational skills for yourself and helping to organize others. The management team follows the best paths, paths, plural, to success. Sometimes you're two-thirds of the way down a path and a roadblock occurs. And now you've got a fork in the road or maybe three options in front of you. Management's responsibility is to figure out which of those will keep leading us towards our ultimate goal. Right? We're not the one, oh, roadblock, I quit. Manager doesn't get to do that. Although some days you really wish you could, right? But following the best path. Management also is consistently and continually involved in looking at weaknesses. Have any of you ever heard the term SWOT? An anachronism. S-W-O-T. When you do a SWOT analysis, you're looking at strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. You need to continually be doing that as you plan, as you goal set for any organization. What, what is my organization good at? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And all areas, all facilities have a weakest link, right? You've heard that term before, the weakest link. What you're always trying to do is raise the bar of what is that weakest link. So the whole organization becomes stronger. But you have to be looking for those weaknesses. Don't put your blinders on and go, yeah, I know this doesn't work well, but we're just going to keep going because you won't be able to keep going. You have to identify the weakness, determine if it's truly a threat or if there's an opportunity within that weakness to turn it into a strength. And then take the steps. When you put all of those things together, you will be able to realize a profit. And that's what the management team all together has as their vision, where they're trying to get to. Okay? Make sense so far? All right. So accountability. Accountability we're going to come back to in another uh, about a week as to how to hold individuals and groups that are under your management supervision accountable.
but accountability is a responsibility. Every member of that management team is automatically accountable to make sure that the company, the entity, the business entity continues moving forward in a profitable fashion, right? We want to continue maximum optimum because if any of our part, parts of the whole are contributing to a negative and they're a drain on company profit, then we need to figure out what's going on and how maybe we can change that. But if we have too many negatives and we're not monitoring their, them, we're not keeping them on track, we don't continue to exist. I know some of you are hoping that in the next year or two, you can stop going to classes. How many of you think that's a good idea? Oh, how about that? Nobody volunteered today. You used to have people say, yeah, I'm done with school. Well, if anything's for certain, change is certain. The world we are making plans about today will not, will not exist in this form tomorrow. That's annoying. It'd be nice to be able to say, well, I'm doing all these plans and at least they should hold for the next quarter, the next year, but it generally doesn't come out that way. The constant flow of information and the changing or altering of ideas requires that the executive, the manager, keep learning. No business survives if you think, I know enough, I'm gonna quit doing workshops, I'm gonna quit studying, I'm gonna quit attending webinars, and I'm just gonna make this all work for the next 45 years until I retire. Good luck. It's not gonna happen. No one ever comes close to knowing it all. You have to keep that pattern going of how you're going to have yourself set up for lifelong learning. How many of you love change? What? TJ said yes, perfect. The rest of you don't like change. Well, I don't like change either. However, change is inevitable. How many of you remember March? What happened between the, about the mm, 6th of March and the 13th of March? Spring break. spring break. And then spring break got longer. I think the world just longer. kind of ended then. And really long? Change is inevitable. Two things we can do in our lives when we're approached with change. You can resist change and typically what happens if you resist, you become consumed by the change. Or you can embrace the change, whatever that change is, and figure out how to make it work for you, right? 
There's really two options. Wish it didn't exist, dig your heels in, and end up being overcome by it in total, or figure out how you can do something with that change. And in the management world, in the business world, you have to be able to give yourself some flexibility and move with the change. But the choice is yours. That's always true. The choice is yours. Choose wisely. Quote is attributed to a former Secretary of Agriculture, State of South Dakota. How many of you remember Dr. Metzger? That's his father-in-law, just as a, an aside, but figure out how you're going to approach it. We all almost exclusively, except for TJ, said we didn't like change, yet we've got to figure out how to work through it. Figure out how you're gonna make the choices to move forward. So business organizations. Now we're coming up on some stuff that I'm going to gloss over quickly because I have written you nice handouts, eight or 10 pages of single space type, which is great fun, but they cover this kind of stuff, right? Like what's a business uh, partnership and a company and a corporation and a sole proprietorship and these sorts of things. But what is a business? It's an enterprise producing something that it can sell. It's involved in production, sale, and distribution of goods or services. That's typically what you call a business, right? Three kinds, the industry. Well, we are typically referred to as industry. We're taking a raw material, in general, milk, or perhaps a vegetable or a grain, and we're converting it into something else, right? The creation of goods. Taking raw material milk, turning it into cheddar cheese. Taking raw material wheat, turning it into a loaf of bread. That's industry, right? So that's a variety of business that's out there. There's also commerce. You can be involved in the dairy industry. You can be involved in the food industry and never actually make or package the product. You can be involved in the logistics. How does it get from point A to B? Putting it on a semi-truck. Where's the warehousing? What's the distribution system? Is that product insured? You know, how do we finance this? How do we get capital? Perhaps the grading of a product. Are dairy products ever graded? Yes. Things like butter. You can buy it in the store. It's grade AA, grade A, grade B, right? You don't see 
the other two very often. Most people want to be grade AA. Why? You get better return on your investment. You can sell it for a higher price. But every facility that's making certain products has a grader that assigns a certain level of quality, a certain value to it. That's an involvement within the business that's covered in commerce. And then there's services. You can be in the dairy business and you can work up here at the uh, SDSU Dairy Bar. What, what does an employee of the SDSU Dairy Bar do most of the time? Hmm? Sells ice cream, right? Scoop ice cream. You involved in making it? You involved in transporting it? Are you providing a service? Absolutely. It's all still a part of this whole. Sometimes an individual company or corporation does all three of these. Sometimes they only focus on one specific portion. But in, in the dairy business, in the food business, generally in some fashion, we're going to do all three of those. This is where I'm going to send you off to read. There is a nice document in the handouts on D2L that discusses all of this. I would like you to read that so that you're able to answer any questions on that that might show up. But to have me stand here and talk about it, when you can read it, it's going to be a waste of both of our resources. I think you're going to be happier reading about what is a proprietorship, partnership, corporation, cooperative? We have all of those things in the food industry. If I'm a small farm and I'm going to produce some product on farm and I'm going to sell it at the local farmer market, I'm probably a proprietorship. Maybe I'm a partnership, but I'm very likely not corporation or a cooperative. But we also have entities like Dairy Farmers of America that have around 9,000 plus producer members, control over 40% of all the milk in the United States, and they have processed facilities. They're a cooperative. But understanding what those differences are is going to be something we should keep track of, but I'm going to let you read about those. How many of you have ever worked in an, with a group of, say, four or five people where <clears throat> there's no one really, quote, in charge? Right? So it kind of works along okay. The longer you're together as that group of four or five people, you start to find out that individuals have certain strengths, right? <clears throat> one person's pretty good at planning, and one is pretty good at organizing, and one is pretty good at 
the mechanical details of what we need to do. Okay? That's an informal structure. No one is officially in charge. What happens if one of those individuals leaves? <clears throat> Does your group function the same way? No. If that's a business entity and this one individual got sick, was in a car accident, whatever it happened to be, and leaves, does your business survive? Informal can be very nimble, tend to be small groups, but within an informal structure, individuals wear many different hats. They're in charge of many different tasks. Their job duties overlap a lot. They may not have formalized job descriptions. Startups typically start in this fashion. You get two or three people together with a business idea. Well, let's, let's try it, right? Small organizations. It's really, really challenging to make this thing grow because you don't know exactly what one individual is responsible for or what skill sets would be missing if they chose to leave, right? It's in lots and lots of entrepreneurial companies, this is the common business model. Very informal structure, sort of everyone is on equal footing. It's flexible, it has some uses, but it's difficult to make your business into a larger entity over time if you don't start to build a little structure. And people tend to like to know who's in charge of what. Even when we get to a level, say, the Dairy Club or the Food Science Club, and you're gonna have an activity, people like to know who's supposed to be the one in charge of that activity so they can call if they have a question, right? With an informal structure, you don't really know. So it can be flexible, it can be good. It's not often what you're going to encounter in the dairy and food industry because we are more comfortable with a little more structure. So if we have formal, formal is much more structured, much more rigid. Within a very formalized structure, it's easy to have accountability. You know who was assigned a responsibility, who should follow up on that task, and who's going to check on them if they don't. It's already defined. Okay? It's very stable to changes in employees. If an individual leaves because their spouse got a job in a different city and they left. Well, okay. Who fills in their tasks? In the informal structure, 
who has the same characteristics as that person? Well, very rarely anyone. In the formal, you at least have job descriptions, position outlines that have certain tasks that an individual must be able to do. You create stability overall to deal with changes when employees want to move, need to move, things of that nature. However, <coughs> formal management structures can become cumbersome. They can become so large and so complex and so rigid that they become very slow. They're not very reactive. It takes them a long time to enact any sort of a change. If you're involved in a formal structure, if the company you're working for has a formal structure, teamwork and communication is vital. Not to say that it's not also vital in the informal structure, but it's absolutely imperative when we get to a formalized structure. <clears throat> it enables clear outlines of work responsibility. Now, if you want the best example of the extreme of this, it's called the United States military. Every rank as you move up gets different levels of accountability, different tasks, but everybody knows if I'm the captain, these are the responsibilities of the captain in, at this part of the unit. Because the military has outlined that for 240 years, this is the responsibility of the captain, right? It, it works, but does it change really fast? No. So there's pros and cons to either variety. If you're going to do a business startup of your own, one of the things you need to think about is what type of system would you like? I mean, at the very beginning, the informal is kind of friendly and all, but if you don't have some provision for what happens if someone decides to leave or they get in a huge argument and they don't talk to each other anymore? Well, if business partners do that, what happens to the business? Crashes and burns really fast, right? But if you had a formal system, the chance of your business surviving is greater. Okay. I'm going to stop there for today. Um, so next week we'll talk about planning, goal setting. We've been working on goal setting in lab. The last group will do some goal setting today in lab. I will on Monday post in the news which lab is next as far as the handout to read ahead. So maybe we will become a little more efficient in how we're doing that. But that's where we stand. Have a good weekend. And uh, 
keep wearing your mask wherever you go so we can keep doing this because we don't want to be Notre Dame or North Carolina, Chapel Hill or Michigan State. They already went online. They already pulled the plug. A week in. And, and we want to try and not do that. Thank you, Howard. Oh, where is this thing? Stop recording. <laughs>